Welcome to another episode of The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's episode is from the morning message of Sunday, May 7th, and is preached by our pastor, Brother Mike Sylvie. Our desire is that this message builds you up in your faith as you walk daily with Christ. Here now is Brother Mike preaching from Revelation 22, verses 12 through 21, a message titled, The Great Invitation. give you a little bit of background information as I get it started this morning about the sermon. I've been preaching here at Central for about eight months now, back in September when you first invited me to come and fill the pulpit. Been your pastor for about three months, but been preaching since eight months ago. And all the sermons that I have preached, I've taken from a series that I call the Great Text of the Bible. I haven't called it a series, but that's what I've been in. Uh, great, powerful uh, text of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation where there are some just great messages of God that he's blessed over the generations. That's what I've been sharing with you all this time I've been preaching. And uh, these messages have been fun to preach and they've been fun to, to hear um, how you have been blessed by them. And the last message in this series is what we have today. The great invitation. The Bible ends with a great invitation. So our text is the last page of the Bible, the last verses on the page. And God ends everything with a great invitation. These are the last words of the Bible, and the last words are always important. I read that the last words, among the last words of George Washington, were the words, It is well. My grandfather on my mother's side, gave us last words before he departed this earth that were important. My grandfather on my mother's side was also a Baptist preacher. I was surrounded by him growing up, preachers all through the family. I didn't have a chance. He was a great man, loved to be around him, but in his latter years, cancer afflicted him. In those last days, he couldn't even speak normally but he communicated to us. The last time I saw him, his hand was raised, and he was uttering some sounds that you couldn't really make out his words, but the message was clear. The message was, I'm going to heaven, and I'll see you there. The last image of my grandfather was his hand was raised in victory, and he was talking about heaven and talking about the victorious life and pointing us to it. He wanted to see us there. Here in our text, Jesus, in the same way, has his hand raised in victory as he gives us his last words. And as he shares those with us, he is sharing the victory, the life that he has to give to all those who will receive it. Listen to his words, verse 12. And behold... I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Christ's sign of victory. Here are the three I am's that he pronounces in these last words of the Bible. Did you catch them? They're in verse 12. I am coming quickly. Verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, and the last. And then in verse 16, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. In victory, he is he's proclaiming that he is the one who's coming to take over. He's the coming one. And uh, when he says, I'm coming quickly, he is telling us that he is going to come decisively. I've shared this with you before. I think it bears repeating that this word quickly, when he says, I am coming quickly, is not a prediction of how soon Christ is coming back. It was over 2,000 years ago when he made this declaration. And some have misunderstood. They hear these words and they think he says, I am coming soon. And we hear that language spoken a lot when we hear about the coming of Christ. But Christ did not say that. He said, I am coming quickly. And this word in the original is the word tachus, and it's the word we get tachometer from, and it tells us how quick the engines are moving. The tachometer does not tell us how soon we'll arrive at our destination, but it tells us how quickly the engines or how fast the engines are moving when we do arrive. And Jesus is saying, when I arrive, all the end-time engines are going to be moving at top speed. I'm going to come quickly and decisively when I come. And I'm going to take over. So he is proclaiming his victory. He is the conquering one. And then with the second I am, he's, he's proclaiming that he is the completing one. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I am the one who completes people and lives and souls. You come to me, and you'll have from the first to the last everything that you need. You'll have complete fullness that lasts forever. He was proclaiming his victory. And then in the third I am, he was saying, I am the celebrating one. I am the one who was, is the root and the offspring of David. I'm the one who originated David. I am the one who came as an offspring of David. I'm both the Lord of David and the Son of David. I'm the Messiah, is what he was saying. I'm the star of the Old Testament. I am the star, not only of the Old Testament, but of the New Testament, by saying I'm the bright and the morning star. I'm the star of the New Testament. I'm the star of the church. I'm the star of heaven. I am the one that everyone celebrates and will celebrate from now forever. 
He was raising his hand in victory and saying that I am the one who's coming and conquering. I am the one who is completing all things. I am the one who will be celebrated forever. This is the life that I have. And if you need life, he says, you can come. And we have this great invitation that follows this message of victory. The great invitations in verse 17. Look at it again. It comes from all different directions. The Spirit and the Bride and Him who hears all say come. The Spirit obviously is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws men and women, boys and girls, to saving faith in Christ. Without the Spirit drawing us, we cannot come to Christ. Without the Spirit speaking to us and convicting us of our sin and saying come, we'll not come. And so it is the Spirit's job to issue the invitation. He's the first one that gives us the invitation. And then the, the bride says, come. Who is the bride? The bride is the churches that are mentioned in verse 16. Congregations of baptized believers who have gathered together to follow the Lord are the ones who are told to issue the invitation as well. And to call people, as the word is preached and taught, to the Lord. And then the invitation comes from a third direction. That is, let him who hears say come. And I think that's the preachers and the evangelists. It's the ones who hear from God a message, just like John did. Verse 8 in this same chapter identifies John as the one who saw and heard these things. So God's call, God called preachers and evangelists are called upon here to say, come, come to the Lord, come to his victorious life. And then scripture gives an invitation, let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So from every direction, wherever God's word is preached and taught, the spirit is given there's an invitation given to come. That's why at the end of every one of our services, we offer an invitation. And as long as I'm pastor here, we'll always offer an invitation to come. Because this is what God's word shows us. This is what God's word commands us and instructs us to do. To preach the message and then offer the invitation. The great invitation. And we'll do that in just a few moments. But first I want you to see that actually this invitation has uh, five parts to it. This is a five-part invitation. And it answers the question, uh, what are we invited to? It says come, the invitation is very clear, come, but what are we coming to? And the, the text makes it clear that there is a five part invitation that we're invited to. Number one is that we are invited to come to Christ. These are the words, let him take the water of life freely. Jesus is the water of life. You cannot live without water and you cannot live without Jesus. If you were to stop drinking water today, 
and not receive any liquid or any nutrients throughout the week, we'd be doing your funeral by the end of the week. Because that's the way God's made us. You cannot live without water. And the reason why God did that is to paint this great picture that we cannot live without the water of life. We can't live without Jesus. God's going to fix our bodies one day. When we receive our glorified bodies, I think we're going to not need water anymore because the Bible says we'll be immortal. And so we won't have to drink the 8 ounces or the 16 ounces or whatever it is, the gallon or whatever it is we're supposed to drink every day. But here's the water we'll still need. We'll still need the water of life. We'll need that forever because Jesus is everlasting life. He told the woman at the well, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus is this water that people are invited to come and to receive. Now, the Bible says when we come to this world that we are born dead in sins and trespasses. That means there's no spiritual water on the inside. We're dead. We don't have the water of life. Our soul, our spirit is dead, and we need the water of life, Jesus, to bring us eternal life. And so when we receive him, that's what happens. We're becoming alive on the inside. We receive spiritual life. And we do receive it. The text says to take the water of life, but this word also means to receive. And so the idea is not that you, you, be, you see Jesus and you hear the message and you just take over and you take what you need. You just go and now it's in your hands. No, it's that you're placing yourself in his hands. It's not so much that you receive Christ, but it's that Christ receives you. You surrender all to him because you're dead. He's alive. And if you come to him and surrender your life to him, then he will give you the water of life. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the sons of God, the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. This is the invitation to come to Christ for everlasting life. But then verse 14 shows us the second part to the invitation, that is to come and receive blessing. Blessed are those who do his commandments. Seven times all through the book of Revelation we find this word blessed. And it's used in connection with people. Those who will respond to the Lord or those who will obey the Lord and do his commandments. Seven times. And the word seven in the book of Revelation is important. It signifies fullness and completion and perfection. And so there is a full and complete and perfect blessing that God will give to those who will respond to him appropriately in obedience. And this is the blessing that we're invited to come and receive. God's commandments, his word, blesses our life. The more that we hear God's word, the more that we follow God's word, the more that we are blessed. 
Now notice the blessing is for those who do his commandments. And some might say, well, that's my problem. I can't seem to do his commandments. I can't stay on track. And that's all of our problem. Every one of us have an issue with staying obedient. But here's the good news. The blessing's not tied necessarily to our obedience, to us figuring it out and us staying good enough. The blessing is tied to the obedience of Christ. It is his obedience to the commandments through which we receive blessing. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. This is in Psalm 40. It's a prophecy of Christ, and he's speaking about himself. He says, in the volume of the book, God's book, it is written to me. I have come to do your will, O God. And Hebrews chapter 10 explains that verse in the Old Testament by saying that by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. So it is Christ's obedience through which we receive the blessing. And as we trust in him and come to him, then we receive the full blessing that he has earned. He's taken the test. He scored 102 on the obedience test. He's got them all right and even some. He's done everything perfectly that we needed to do as he took on flesh. The Bible says that he, Christ, is the end of the law. That means that he has finished the test, all the requirements, and he has fulfilled them completely. The test is over. We just have to come and receive his grade. We can receive his score. We can receive his perfect obedience And as we receive his obedience, the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When we receive him, we receive his blessing. This is the blessing that Revelation talks about. So Christ changes us on the inside and gives us his perfect obedience And until we leave this earth and go to heaven, we still will stumble. We'll still make mistakes. But what Christ is doing is he's working the inside uh, to to come out in fullness on the outside. And in sanctification, he is making us more like himself. And the more that we then now uh, conform ourselves to him, We walk in obedience and we walk in the blessing that he has provided for us that come from his commandments. So first, the invitation is to come to Christ and to his everlasting life. And secondly, is to come to his blessing and to be blessed forever. And then third, it is to come and enter heaven. Notice that verse 14 also says that uh, we might have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Now, the city is heaven. And we talked last week about heaven. Had the kids up here at the front. They were a great group up here at the front. They filled out their response cards and gave some great questions, and we've talked about some of that this week. 
Guys, remember what I said about heaven last week? How big heaven is? Can we remember? It's real big, isn't it? 1,400 miles in every direction. And we get that from Revelation chapter 21. There in verse 16 is where we get that measurement. And that's amazing. 1,400 miles in every direction. Heaven is a square. It's a cube. And uh, the size of heaven, I think, communicates to us about how much God wants people to be with him and to be in heaven. And you you calculate the the size of heaven, and uh, it just blows your mind to think about how big God's house is. This is God's house. It's uh, 1,400 square miles. Or 1,400 miles in one direction, 1,400 miles in the other direction. You you multiply those together, and that actually is about 2 million square miles. That's how big God's house is. And not only is it that huge, but it's also that high. The Bible says it's also 1,400 miles high. It's a cube. And so we can think of it as having all these different levels. The highest building on earth today is a half mile high. It's on the other side of the world. It's not in the United States. It's a half a mile high. And here is God's house. It's 1,400 miles high. And so inside, I think it's going to have all these different levels. And uh, there's going to be enough room for all of us. You're going to have more elbow room there than you have here this morning. I think it's that big. And the Bible talks about gates here in verse 14. And you, you, again, you go back to Revelation chapter 21. And you read that it doesn't just have one gate. It's got 12 gates. Look at verse 12. She had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south and three gates on the the west. Then verse 21 says, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So here's the invitation. The invitation is to come to this amazing place called heaven, where God wants as many people as possible. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That tells me that God wants people in heaven. And God issues the invitation to all. He wants everyone who will respond to him to be in heaven. And God's given us a picture of heaven in the Bible. I want to share this with you this morning before we move on. I think God's given us a picture of heaven in creation as well. I want to share something with you that I didn't read anywhere. This is what I've come up with, my own calculations. But I I think this is something God's done in creation to give us a glimpse of heaven. You know, when you you compute the mass of it like I did earlier, I try to think, okay, what does that compare with? Does that compare with the United States land mass? Does that compare with some other land mass on the earth? And none of them really line up just right. 
And then I began to think, well, what else out, out there is similar to that size? You know, a huge cube. It's got this mass where you got all these different levels and you got uh, about um, two million square miles to it. And there is something out there in creation that's similar. It's not identical, but it's very similar. And that is the moon. The moon, even though it's not a cube, it's, it's a sphere. It is very similar in mass and size to what we read here in Scripture of the size of heaven. And I think God's done that intentionally. Because we look up in the, the daytime sky and what do we see? We see the sun shining bright. It's so bright we can't even look at it with our natural eyes for very long. And it, it's the, the sun that reminds us and points us to the sun, S-O-N, of righteousness. And we look at the sun and we're drawn to, to him who made that sun. But then we look up in the night sky and what do we see? We see another light. We see the moon. And God has made that moon to be almost about the size that heaven's going to be if you put corners on the moon. And we look up there at that light and where does the light that the moon has come from? It comes from the sun. And Revelation says that the heavenly city that we're going to live in one day has no need of the sun, S-U-N, because the Lamb will be the light of it. And so today, the moon that we see, it receives its light from the sun, the S-U-N, that represents the sun, the S-O-N. And one day, the Bible says that 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 heavenly creation of God, that city, that house is going to come down one day to the earth. And that, that city, that house is going to glow with the glory of God because the sun, S-O-N, is going to come into the house. And he's going to make it glow with the glory of God. And in, and in every direction, the 12 gates, why are there 12 gates? I think it's because God wants people in heaven. And he wants people from every direction. He wants people from all over the earth, from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people group. The east, the west, the north, and the south. He wants people coming in who have placed their faith in Christ. We're going to come into that great house, that great city that's going to be bigger than anything we've ever seen. And that's going to be our eternal home. This is the home Christ is inviting us to. And what an what a eternity we're going to have to dwell with God himself in his house, in the city, because we have accepted his invitation. Well, this invitation is not only to enter heaven, but it's also to escape Hell. That's the fourth part of this invitation. Verse 15 says, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Now notice, the same Bible that tells us there's a heaven declares that there's a hell. You can't believe in one and refuse the other. Now none of us want to see anybody go to hell and God does not want to see anybody go to hell. Matthew chapter 25 says that hell was created 
for the devil and his fallen angels. That's what God made hell for. But there are some who will receive the invitation to come and enter into heaven, to come to Christ and to receive his life, and they're going to refuse. And the only place they can go if they refuse to enter in is to stay outside. And this is what verse 15 talks about. There will be some who are outside. Because they heard the call and they received the invitation to look away from themselves, to repent of their sin and to trust in Christ alone, but they refuse to do it. And as a result, they will send themselves to hell. They'll be outside. Now who are outside? There are what's called dogs. And again, this is a symbol. It's not literal dogs. Do dogs go to heaven? I don't know the answer to that question. We'll have to wait and see. But I do, and I tell this to kids who ask me this question. In the book of Revelation, you do find animals mentioned in eternity or in heaven. So that's as best I can do. We need to wait and see, but God is going to make heaven and make the future the very best it can be, and we're all going to be fine with it. But these dogs that verse 15 talks about really is a symbol for evil workers. Philippians chapter 3 verse 2 uses the same word dog and it's talking about evil workers who prey on other people. They go into churches. They pretend to be religious but they're really only there to get people's money and they're there just to prey on people's lives. These are the people who don't know Christ. They don't know the good shepherd if they treat the sheep that way. And they're going to be those who are found outside. They're also sorcerers. Sorcerers are those influencers who use a power apart from God's power to control others. And today, witchcraft and sorcery is on the rise. Kids, you need to have nothing whatsoever to do with any kind of witchcraft or sorcery or anything like that. That does not come from God. I know it can be fun. It can be kind of interesting and captivating. But it is something that is not from God. And one day it's going to be totally on the outside of everything that we are. Then it says that there are sexually immoral. These are people who give their bodies over to immorality. And then there are murderers, those who desire to take life rather than give life. There are those who love to practice a lie. Those are the ones who refuse truth and choose only that which is false. These are the people that will be on the outside, that will be in, in hell. Now somebody might say, well, I know some folks that have never accepted Christ, and they're not like these folks. Or you may say, I have accepted Christ, but I'm not like this. While it may be true that you are not practicing all these things, or the other people are not practicing all these things right now, there will come a time in which they will. Because sin is a slow-working poison that destroys and corrupts everything that it comes into contact with. And it eventually will corrupt people from head to toe. And before it's done, they will be just like everyone who is separated from God. The worst kind of sinner. They will be like those who are on the outside. That's why the invitation is come. Come and escape hell. Come and escape an eternity that is only doomed with destruction and darkness 
separated from God's presence forever. Come and receive life. The invitation is open. And this invitation is open to all who are sinners and need life. Whosoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Well, there's one last part to the invitation, and that is to come and stand on truth. This is verses 18 and 19. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. So this part of the invitation is come and stand on truth. The word of God given to us is truth that will last forever, and if we stand on it, we're going to stand forever. But there's a warning here that we're not to change or add or take away from God's Word. Now this does not mean that someone who innocently quotes God's Word wrong and leaves something out is guilty of this this warning that has serious consequences, that they'll be visited with the plagues that are written in the book. This does not talk about someone who makes an honest mistake and leaves something out or adds something that wasn't there or preaches a message and, and, and uh, honestly says something that's not right. I've done that from time to time. I'll listen to my message again. I'll go, oh my goodness, why did I say that? <laughs> We're human. We will make mistakes. It's not a mistake of the mind that this is talking about. It's a mistake of the heart. Someone who is refusing to trust in Christ, who's wanting to live their own way, to keep their own sin, have control of their life, and when they hear the Word of God, and they're under conviction, instead of saying yes, what they do is they change what the, the, the Bible verses are saying that they're hearing. Or they remove the Bible or remove parts of it that they don't want. That's what this is talking about. It is a sin of the heart. And anyone who does this will not be saved because verse 19 says that God will take away his part from the book of life. That doesn't mean that God takes salvation away from anybody. I think this means that because the invitation is for all, these verses make that clear, that God's saying that if you tinker with the message, you're going to tinker with your opportunity to receive this salvation. So their part is taken away by what they do. And their part of the holy city is taken away. And the blessing they could receive from the things which are written in this book, they're taken away because they refuse to hear the truth of this message. So God's invitation is to come. It is to come and be blessed, to come and to enter, to come and escape, to come and to stand forever on and in God's truth. Not long ago, I had to go to a place where you had to stand in line and, and take a number. And I had important business to take care of, so I took that number and I waited. 
And I waited, and I waited, and finally, my number was called. Now, at that point, I had a choice. I had a choice either to walk out and say, I've waited too long, I'm not going. Or to take my number and go up there to the desk and say, it's my turn. Charles Stanley passed away several weeks ago. Great man of God. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. Our prayer is that this message will encourage you in your walk with Christ as we dive into God's Word each and every week. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you in the week to come.